0: Hello and welcome to Backstory, the show about books, the craft of writing and the people behind the lines. I'm Mel Cranenberg and usually this is the time when I'd introduced my guests for the week, but today I'm doing things just a little bit differently. Uh, 13 years ago, a little-known Sydney-based author launched a book he was sure would drop like a Brick. It was the story of a young girl in Nazi Germany who steals books destined for the flames. She was narrated, uh, the book was narrated by death, is more than 580 pages long and almost all of the characters die. But Marcus Suzak's The Book Thief went on to phenomenal international success. It also made writing the follow-up book he wanted uh, something of a struggle but 13 years later, Bridge of Clay has arrived. Like its younger sister, the book is also a hefty 580-odd pages. And comparisons to The Book Thief are, of course, inevitable. I was very lucky to catch up with Marcus Suzak when he visited Melbourne last week, and I asked him all about his, the book, his writing craft, and what books helped to shape him as a writer. And I really thought this was an interview worth giving a little bit of extra space to. So rather than squeeze in a second interview, I have given a lot more room to this one. Uh, I'll be playing it in two parts over the course of the next hour. So do stay with us. This is definitely one to kind of sit back and relax or, you know, take an early lunch break with um, or an extended lunch break, depending on how generous your workplace is. Uh, Just really take it all in and enjoy. Three. Triple. Ah. You're listening to Three Triple R. This show is backstory, and I am Mel Cranenberg. So it's been a long wait for fans of his phenomenally successful 2005 novel The Book Thief, but at last Marcus Suzak's latest The Book of Clay has landed and it's a weighty epic focusing on a family of four brothers. Their mother has died, and their estranged father has returned to build a quite literal bridge. I caught up with Marcus last week to discuss *Bridge of Clay*, his writing craft, and what books influenced him. Marcus Suzak, welcome to Backstory.
1: Thanks for having me. You know, I'm so so happy to be not only in Melbourne but at Triple R. It's you know, it is one of those things that. You look at it, you know, because I'm from Sydney, and you go, God, if only we had something like Triple R, you know, that rivals it. And, uh, you know, I hope that's not offensive to my home city. Yeah, I'm already in trouble.
0: (laughs) I'm absolutely not going to say anything about the the wonderful community radio situation in Sydney, but Triple R is definitely iconically Melbourne. It is, yeah. We're proud of that. Although you can stream us pretty much everywhere now. So, Marcus, this book that you have produced is even weightier then The Book Thief, which is uh, the breakout book that many people know you by. Not your first book, your, I think, fourth or fifth book, in fact. Yeah, The Book Thief
1: was my fifth book.
0: That's right. Uh, So Bridge of Clay, though, is something of a difficult uh, follow-up, I guess, to the book that really made you an internationally recognised writer. So I do want to touch on that, but I really want to focus first on the book itself. The Bridge of Clay is a, a really fascinating exploration of family over a long period of time. And a family kind of dealing with trauma really is is what I got from this. But I would love you to introduce it uh, as you see it.
1: Yeah, well, it's always interesting you learn more about what your book's about in the years afterwards. And uh, and not only from people telling you, but your own thoughts. and And it is about a family that is decimated by a moment. But it's also just about the idea of... I feel like it's a book about stories as well and the fact that what we're made of is stories and and that basically... Well, not basically, because there's nothing basic about it. I think we are who we are long before we're even born. And so this is a book that takes one character, Clay Dunbar, who is the fourth of five Dunbar boys in, in this family and it goes into the backstory of their mum, their dad... And they're meeting over a a mislaid or a misdelivered piano. And that's how their family comes into being. And it's the story of the brothers. It's the story of, you know, their mum dying and their dad fleeing them and Clay bringing the family back. And he's the one who Matthew, the eldest Dunbar boy, who's telling the story says, you know, we had one brother who took everything on his shoulder and that brother is Clay.
0: And... The name Clay, obviously, is is a metaphor that you can really work with, not to be punny about it, but really he's the stuff that everyone is made of in many ways he's the the thing that's been created by the family I guess and he himself is is emblematic of the family in some way and it's openly stated in the book one of the the wonderful elements I guess of your writing Marcus is that you do throw these little I, I guess ideas in and express them rather than simply leaving them to be told by the text That's uh, an orthodoxy that you break a lot, the the show don't tell, which I sort of love in your work. Uh, There's enough of an ellipsis between uh, the the words for people to find themselves in it. But those little moments are actually quite precious, I feel.
1: Yeah. And I, I got the idea of, you know, the fact that Clay's name is Clay is just one of those, you need a couple of little pieces of luck or little miracles to actually get through to start writing a book. And when I was 20, I had an idea for a boy who was building a bridge and, uh, and he wanted it to be beautiful and perfect and he wanted to achieve greatness with this bridge. And I, I just thought of that walking around the suburbs where I grew up and I named him Clayton and that was the piece of luck. I could have named him anything. And so it was going to be called Clayton's Bridge. And then I thought, a couple of months later, I went, no, not Clayton's Bridge. What about shorten his name and call it Bridge of Clay? And as soon as I thought of that title, a whole new range of emotion and especially meaning came through that title. And I thought, oh, this is the idea. He's making this bridge out of stone or wood or whatever it's going to be. I didn't know yet, but it's going to be made of him, of clay. He's molding his life into this bridge this bridge is made of him and then of course there's the idea of clay the name and clay the material and clay can be molded into anything but it needs fire to set it and Mm. that was when i saw what i thought was going to be the end of the book which is a character clay who wants to make a miracle he wants to walk along top of the water of a flooded river but he's built the bridge underneath it and the fire in the water would be the sunrise And so I knew what I wanted. I knew I was heading towards that. And, of course, you know, as a writer, you've got to be flexible enough to go, oh, to realise at one point that's not actually the end of the book. Like, it, you know, you you get there and you go, oh, no, it's just left or right of that. And uh, the idea of Clay being this boy but also something... You know, malleable was really important to the character and uh, to the idea of telling stories as well.
0: To come back to that telling stories idea, there's a real fairy tale quality to a lot of what you write in this book and certainly in the book Thief. I feel like it's a really interesting approach because what you're looking at in this book is the stories that family have told uh, that have filtered down. I'm sure you've drawn to a certain extent on, on stories you've told and used those kind of modalities to sort of get into this story. But I'm interested in that, that you use these kind of fairy tale archetypes. You wind them throughout uh, very realist kind of text. Although the way it's written is is quite, um, you know, as we say, elliptical. Uh, you're leaving almost poetic kind of images in people's minds so that they can draw from it. Can you talk about how you combine those elements of of fairy tale poetry and realism?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it starts with the idea that, or at least now thinking about it later, that often we feel like we we lead these mundane suburban lives, but but I wanted to write a sort of well, I I realise now at least I wanted to write this sort of a suburban kind of epic story, where there is a bigness to things. There, is, I mean, we all have the we all have big lives at times where we do fall in love and people do die on us and uh, and we do have big cracking arguments in our kitchens, you know, and uh, and uh, and things get thrown and and. But it started actually it always starts. It never starts with the idea or the theme of that. It starts with something small. And in the case of Bridge of Clay, it started with nicknames, and uh, because Australian people and I think all cultures love nicknames. And uh, and so Clay was always the Smiler. Matthew was the responsible one. Rory, the the second oldest Dunbar boy, is the human ball and chain. <laughs> Henry's the money maker, and Tommy's the pet collector. And I realized I had these nicknames and then I I had these boys running at a track and training and it was a kind of, it reminded me of the games, you know, and, and it reminded me a little bit in that way. I thought this is going all the way back in a suburban setting to, you know, I didn't think, oh, this is just like Homer, uh, and, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey, but then what happened was... I gave their mum a nickname and the nickname was The Mistake Maker and that's the name her dad gave her when she made so many mistakes practising the piano. And, uh, And then I coupled that with one image and it was that she came from a watery wilderness. And I knew then that I'd taken the exact phrase from Homer and I went, that's what this book is doing. It's actually got... Um, the Iliad and the Odyssey running through it and just the idea of storytelling and stories being handed down and stories being told and stories running into each other Mm. and through each other and so all of that kind of ran like the and that's why the structure of this book is tidal, where you've got clay always moving forward because we live our lives moving forward and he's moving forward building this bridge but the tide of their past, of this family's past and of Clay's past is coming in and that's where we see the stories of the family and we're getting to the point where the two tides meet and uh, that's when you find out what's happened to Clay to make him who he is.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to Backstory on 3RRR. I'm Mel Cranenberg and I'm talking to author Marcus Suzak about his latest book, Bridge of Clay. Marcus, your writing style, uh, as we've discussed, is quite particular and it has that sense of things being left out. I want to talk about how you've arrived at that and by doing that, I really want to reference a a talk that you did, a TED Talk, where you talk about failure and you discuss the fact that failure is really what writing is about, I guess, That, that your failures, it's not only what makes you a writer, it's intrinsic in some ways to writing. I found that a really fascinating thought because in a lot of ways, I guess, shaping you describe in some detail how you shape the the character of death in the book thief which many listeners will be familiar with but i feel like this book also has an example of that you i've read have tried quite a few different voices here and Mm -hmm. i feel like there's the remnant of that still there and, and it's a strengthening quality can you talk a little bit about that
1: yeah i think the first thing that you know the first thing to say about that is i mean one of the things i love most about writing as a job is that it's the sort of job that's always testing you it's always it's always testing how much do you want this how much do you want to do it i mean firstly just in in the case where you know you've got to prioritize it to a point where okay if you really want to get this done it's got to be in your top one or two things to get it done if it's number seven on your list you're never gonna you're never gonna get it written so um so i've always i 've always taken writing on as something that you 've got to prepare for and train for and be ready for and even even things like I, I do go running and things like that and get everything and and then so, so to have everything in order so that i 'm happy when I get to my desk and I feel prepared and and everything 's ready to go without I mean the rest of my lo- life is constantly in chaos, and we need that as well that 's where our stories are. And that's why we have kids and why we have pets and all that sort of thing because we don't want things to actually run smoothly. And it's the same with writing a book. And that idea of failure is, you know, in a a lot of ways you can say it's not really just failure, it's process as well. And it's finding something that doesn't work and getting around that is where your imagination is. And so I often say to people, Especially when they say, oh, what do you do for a living? And I say, I'm a writer. And they say, oh, you must have a great imagination. I say, I don't. I just have a lot of problems.
0: Yeah. It's an interesting thing because as you're talking, I'm thinking, isn't that kind of the theory of evolution really anyway? Is that, you know, on a maybe cellular level, we're about mistakes that were tried and and you know, eventually kind of overcame a problem. So I guess yeah. maybe it's, it's actually on that kind of mitochondrial level of us that that this notion of failure is is about getting to the stuff of life. So that's an interesting thing because, you know, I, I guess then when you get to formulaic writing, there is that sense of it's not entirely real, maybe.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I mean, for me too, I, I, it's funny as you are asking that, I just always remember my dad who would say things like, you know, it's the defeats that make you stronger. Or if, if something went badly, like you know, you fail your driver's licence test, he'd say, Well, you never know what that's good for. And uh in terms of you might have gone out tonight driven and, you know, been got in a car wreck or something. And uh and so there'd always be a positive spin in a way on the on the negative event. But in the case Like bridge of clay but one of the small things or one of the things i realized that if it hadn't taken 13 years between the book thief and bridge of clay i wouldn't have written that chapter that was a really important part of the book to me now really late in the book in january of this year where a small character named abby hanley comes back to have a huge impact on the story or something where you know at the eight or nine year mark where i thought Part one is called cities. Part two is called waters. Part three, criminals. And then I, I, just in my head, I just saw, and it's only a little idea, but it makes me happy. Is suddenly it was oh, why don't I make it cities plus waters, and then cities plus waters plus criminals is part three, and then plus arches, and so the idea then that something is being built here, mm. and there's a the, here's a story, but we 're bringing the last part of the story with us and uh, and we're returning to the city and so it was just that idea that we 're always intersecting and we're always bringing our stories with us, and that 's what makes us who we are and uh, and so often your failures are the things that you talk about more because they 're your best stories <laughs> and so i've I've come to embrace that you know that part of my life and uh, you know it's always the screw-ups that you end up laughing about and uh, you know and even now sometimes when I I, I'm speaking somewhere I will tell the story of how my dad smashed my alarm clock on Chris you know on the on the morning of Christmas Eve and it's this was such a terrible thing at the time and a whole big family argument but it's a really good story.
0: Yeah Uh, I want to kind of really discuss the the line-by-line writing here because you leave a lot out and I'm really intrigued by writers who have a very particularly kind of spare or sparse writing style, how they approach that. Do you write long and then pair things back? Um, do you find the image first and build a scene around it? How does it evolve?
1: It's, it's really interesting doing a reading from the book at you know, like last night I was in Geelong and I, I, I read from the book and then you read something and you go, God, I, I wrote that in 2007, that line. And uh, and then you, I know that and then you've got a thought for that line to keep it in. I I just have a very clear idea about what I want. When I start writing, and uh, I know what I and I know what I'm seeing in my head, and I know what I want to feel, and it takes sometimes, in this case, a very long time to get there, but in the case of this book, I knew I wanted it to have a really particular rhythm, and uh, and whether that was because of you know, the idea of the Iliad and the Odyssey running through it, and these were these great oral poems. But I, I just felt like every I wanted it to flow in a certain way, and so sometimes I think of the words, the way sort of mathematical people think about binary code and all those zeros and ones <laughs> and how many combinations are possible, and I thought that's how I actually feel about words, and it's trying to get the right word after the previous word to make it interesting and to make it Fit in exactly the way I want it to fit and so it's working out those combinations and having words come together in a way where you go oh, I really like the feel of that and that's what I'm constantly searching for.
0: I, I think it's interesting though that I mean the closest I think in some ways to what you're describing is is writing poetry in many ways. And there are times when you break out into this kind of verse. There's a wonderful moment quite early in the book where you're really introducing the characters and, uh, and this voice suddenly says, many considered us tearaways, barbarians. Mostly they were right. Our mother was dead. Our father had fled. And I just thought this kind of encapsulates how your writing works. Each of those kind of um, ideas are on a separate line it's written like poetry and and much of the you know the text kind of it moves quite smoothly between more kind of classical prose and even quite a a sort of a grounded australian idiom into this into this mind like that you're, you're kind of moving to the subconscious so i'm really intrigued by that because i think you have really managed to cut through to the emotions by doing that in a way i think had you just given us the imagery it you perhaps wouldn't have
1: yeah i feel like now i mean i talked about the title nature of the the plot structure in a way but i felt like i feel like now there was something running through the center of the book and it's exactly what you're talking about there and it is the the sort of the rhyming nature of the book and even something as simple as that and getting that exactly right was really difficult because sometimes i wanted i mean that's such a simple rhyme uh you know, our mother was dead, our father had fled. It's so, it's all, you know, and you you worry at times, you know, and I love Dr. Seuss. And, uh, and, you know, but you're going between, you know, you're thinking about, the Iliad and the Odyssey on one hand, and Dr. Seuss on the other. And there's nothing to say that one's better than the other. Uh, one's, but they're regarded differently, of course, and, and both are genius. But, you know, I, I needed to be very careful about sometimes saying, I just want this to be really simple, almost almost childlike. And that rhyme is a, quite a, a childish one. Um hopefully in a good way and, and certainly an intended way. And then other times I know that there are rhymes and, uh, and rhythms in there that people aren't even going to notice. So I think... But what I felt like was that that rhythm is running through the centre of the book and it does veer either side of that, but it always comes back to that centre. And uh, and the Australianness of it as well always felt like a really important thing, that here's this family that's very Australian in some ways... But their mum who, for me, it's really interesting that the book in some ways gets most attention for these five brothers to living together and the idea of the masculinity of that and so on. But the real heart of the book is their mother mm. who came from Eastern Europe and started a new life in Australia.
0: It, it's what's missing, isn't it, that you really focus on in some ways when when you leave that space for people to feel something, you feel the absence of the thing that it's really about. And I think you've achieved that really beautifully.
1: Well, I think that um, that one of the, the great things about books is that we're still able to do that. Books are, are, a, are one of the beauties or one of the beautiful things about books is that books are kind of tougher in a way and leaving things out the way they are in this book sort of not forces the reader but gives the reader the kind of respect to say yeah you're here too and you're going to do some work and you're going to be really richly rewarded for that whereas that's not necessarily where we are as a culture at the moment you know everything you know everything is fast and everything's a bit more on the obvious side and things are given to us and we eat it up and then we eat up the next thing. And I feel like books of that uh, are one of those pieces where you can, like in the case of Bridge of Clay where, you know, Clay leaves the house, he leaves his brothers behind to go and build this bridge with their dad and that's seen as this act of betrayal. But he collects these, uh, you know, Sort of little symbols of his brother, or talismans, and he says that um, you know he picks up the Monopoly iron, you know the the token of the Monopoly iron, and he takes that with him. And you don't find out for another 250 pages why he took the Monopoly iron, but you will find out, and you can trust, you know, you can trust that we're going to find out what that moment, what that Monopoly iron signifies. So I love that idea that. You, you just still have to hang in there with a book and it will give you something that will reward you all the more for being patient with it.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to Backstory on 3RRR. I'm Mel Cranenberg and I'm talking to author Marcus Suzak, uh, best known for his work, The Book Thief, and now he has an amazing new book, Bridge of Clay. Marcus, I've just briefly mentioned you are the author of a lot of books. I think people are wrongly assuming that The Book Thief was a breakout debut novel by a scrappy, unknown author. Writer, But in fact, you had already really had some serious funds on the board. You'd written, was it, four previous books and really had been honing your craft for some time, even though you were really quite young when The Book Thief came out. Can you talk a bit about the lead up to that?
1: It's really funny because often because The Book Thief is set in Nazi Germany uh, or, you know all those years ago people either think i'm old or dead and <laughs> or they think you
0: are in fact <laughs> dead
1: and uh, or or they have that idea that oh this so called young australian writer came up with this book out of nowhere but uh, but I'd started writing when I was sixteen, and uh, of course those first attempts were were really embarrassing, and I'm glad they've never seen the light of day. But they they got me to where I needed to go, and it was my fourth attempt at a book, which was the Underdog, which was published, and you know I got my bit of just that piece of luck. I got published off the slush pile, and then piece by piece I started to sort of garner what i needed to 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 create what i felt was my own kind of style and and coming back again to thinking about my dad is uh he gave me i remember losing an athletics race once when i was a kid and uh, i complained to him because i thought i'd won and i got put in sixth spot and he said well he said i thought you won as well Uh, but you made a really big mistake you didn't win by enough (laughs) you've got to win by so much that they can't take it off you and uh, and when I think about writing I don't think about being better than anyone or, or you know outdoing anybody but I just thought that I look back on that period where I was just writing book not book after book after you know just trying to trying to get something published first but then then getting published and then following that up and each time I was growing that little bit more and I think heading towards trying to do that same thing which is to write a book that's so much just me that no one else could have written it.
0: That that idea of writing without expectation is a really interesting one because actually you came at that through having written a book that was published and then feeling like well Essentially, I have nothing to lose here because now I've, you know, I've done the scary thing. So I might as well write the book that I want and probably no one's going to read it anyway. So, you know, I might as well just do it for myself. I guess that that may have been a different experience with your, you know, the subsequent book to the book thief. Definitely Uh, this one. How hard was it to get out of your own way with that uh, to just find that moment of saying, well, I'm just going to write the book I want to write?
1: I think the, the challenge, yeah, of writing The Book Thief as it got bigger was, I thought, well, as you said, I thought, no one's going to read this, you know. And, uh, you know, the joke I always say, you know, or tell people is, you know, I imagine someone trying to tell their friends to read it and the friend says, well, what's it about? And you say, well, it's set in Nazi Germany. It's narrated by death. Nearly everyone dies and it's 580 pages long. You'll love it. And, uh, and then so, so the, the challenge there was, all right, no one's going to read it. Are you still gonna write it? That, that is
0: vastly underselling it though, to be completely fair. Yeah. That kind of ironic melancholy voice of the I, of death is really, you know, what holds I, that all together. I,
1: and I you know, at the time, honestly, I didn't realise that. I knew, you know, and everyone would say to me, Oh, well, this book's gonna change everything. Like once I delivered it, they would say you know you've written these four other books that have led all been stepping stones to this and your life's not going to be the same and i went yeah 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 that's what they always say you know you you put you deliver a book and everyone says oh this is great it's going to do great and then nothing happens and uh and then this time even then it took six months and then it just started really taking off and so the new challenge with with bridge of clay was right suddenly people people are definitely going to read this book. They're not maybe going to read it. They're definitely going to read it and they might, you know, compare that and they're definitely going to compare it to the book thief and they might not be favorable in that comparison. So what do you do? Do you try to please all of those people or do you say, right now I've got to, I've just got to satisfy myself again the way I did last time. And I think you are, you're not human if you're not torn between those two things. And, uh, and, you know, when the success of The Book Thief happened, you know, the door opens and all this beautiful stuff comes in, all this beautiful light comes in, but darkness comes in as well and all those doubts and all those people, the, you know, the more pockets of, a com- of the, community, the reading community you get into, the more chance you're going to stumble across people who don't love you and are only so happy to tell you so and to tell the world how much they don't love your book as well. And so there was a new challenge to write Bridge of Clay. And and I think, you know, I did have some – you know, I had some great – don't get me wrong, I had such a – I've got the sort of life that I dreamed of because I've had a book that's had in its own small way a, a charmed and magical life. and uh, But that doesn't make writing the next one any easier, of course. So um, I had just had some times where I, I realised – that, okay, this is really hard and what you're trying to do is hard. And what I, this was the book I'd always wanted to write. This was the book I was putting all my hopes on and then The Book Thief just came and just just swept it away.
0: I think that's kind of what I love about this book as well because in many ways it's, it's not a sort of traditional commercial book at all. Like it's quite experimental and, and yet this is going to reach a lot of people and I think maybe, you know, that's the wonderful thing about The Book Thief that it did open up. Um, an audience to receive a book that is like this—that's—that is, you know, doing things in a way that um, that isn't the norm. And I just think that's wonderful. Has it freed you up? Do you think now to to just own your voice and and do what you're you're going to do for your next book?
1: I, I feel so much happier about writing now than I have in a long time uh, because I've come through this, and and I, I did have to stop and remind myself a lot of times when I was writing this book that. The reason it was so hard was that I wasn't playing it safe. I wasn't trying to do more of the same. I wanted, I took everything, I think, that The Book Thief gave me and I thought, let's just bet all of that. Let's bet everything and, uh, and try to do it again. And... Uh, and do it in a way to, to risk losing readers as well. And, and often, and I've got to stop apologizing to people for this book too, where I say, you know, at the beginning, you know, you just get through the, you know, be, it's all there for a reason and you'll be rewarded. Just hang. But what I realized is I used to say that to people about the book thief because the prologue people would say I didn't even get what was going on in that prologue I didn't know you know and so my my joke that time was well the first 14 pages are there to get rid of the people who shouldn't be reading it and <laughs> and uh, and I
0: like it I look I, I mean I I loved this book I really did and I think in in no small part because I, I read a lot of books and it's so wonderful when you, you kind of hear, it's like listening to the same piece of music over and over again and then you hear a, a sound that's, you know, what is that sound? It's intriguing. Where is it going to go? And I had that feeling with this book that actually it's you know, by breaking language a little bit, playing with it, um, using the modes of poetry and, and fairy tale and storytelling, that you're breaking through the surface of things to get to that emotional stuff underneath. So, thank you.
1: No, well, it, and it's you know, it, it's difficult at times when you you know what you're aiming for, and you and and then you arrive at a point later on where I mean, I was asked to do the audio version of. Of Bridge of Clay, and so I, I did read it, and uh, and it was the perfect way to say goodbye to the book. And what I realized as I was reading it was that every single thing in it is deliberate, and everything is there for a reason. And I may, and I agonized over some you know decisions on just certain words and certain things. And part of me knows there'll be twenty percent improvement in this book until the day I die, but another part knows that. I was I was always trying to write better than I actually am, and that's why it took lo- that's why it took so long because I was just reaching for something, and uh, and I knew what I wanted, and uh, and I gave it that shot, and I, I realize now, and and I try not to make hope this doesn't sound kind of corny in a way, but the bridge in the book is made of clay but the book is made of everything in me and it's the best that i could possibly do and i and i felt like i did take the chances that were there to be taken and i didn't and i I, and i and i ended up writing that book for the characters in the book I, i wanted to do them justice and so when matthew is at the end of this book waiting for clay to come home and wondering if he will it becomes me wondering that. And uh, and that's what made me want to be a writer in the first place, was when you're reading something that you know is made up by somebody, but you believe it when you're in it. And that's that's what I love about this job.
0: Uh, if that voice you're just hearing is the voice of Marcus Suzak, uh, author of Bridge of Clay uh, and The Book Thief and many other books, in fact, uh, that people may want to dig into finding out more about. Uh, Marcus, I want to leave this discussion by really talking about the books that you have loved, things that have helped to kind of form you as a writer, but also just as a person, as a reader. Are there any books that have really stayed with you?
1: Well, the first time I, I mean, I was a, a big reader as a as a kid and my parents never read to me or, uh, you know, there's that whole idea of, oh, you've got to read to your kid. And, and I believe in that trust me I was reading with my one year old son who's now eight and my dad saw me and he said god you're a better dad than I ever was reading to your son And I thought no sometimes talking about what's been left out we did have a lot of books in the house though and uh, and so I I grew up reading but then you know you think you've fallen away but you haven't I mean I, I read a lot of football biographies when I was 13 14 years old and then at that age, I also read The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton. And uh, like a lot of Australian kids still do today, I think, at school. And again, I had that feeling of staying up into the really late hours of night while my brother was snoring on the other side of the room, reading that book and being there. And uh, and that really reawakened me to the idea of how much I loved books without even knowing it. I wasn't articulating it like that at 14. And then at 16, I read another book of hers where the actual main cat, where the protagonist was getting a book published. And I just remembered thinking at that moment, oh God, that's what I want to do. I want to do that. And uh, and just that feeling, like I said, of being totally immersed in a book and believing everything in it while you're there. I thought that's what I want to do with my life. So, And it's interesting that growing up in that, era in australia I, I did i was actually influenced by a lot of american writers like john irving as well and and that was that sort of big exhausting exhilarating journey of say the world the world according to garp and uh you know but even sylvia plath just for those you know in something like the bell jar where there are just these I guess I, I don't want to call them explosive moments, but just something where you see two words put together on a page and just go, "That's amazing!" Yeah, and uh, and and so those were you know just a couple of influences, and uh, and a last one I think in my twenties that really had a big influence was was What's Eating Gilbert Grape, and uh, that book just showed me one one rule that I, I try to stick to, and that is. Great characters are what make great books.
0: Marcus Suzak, thank you for spending so much time talking to us about your book and your influences and everything else in between. Uh, I highly recommend Bridge of Clay. It's worth spending the time with to kind of allow the rhythms to enter your mind and flow through the rest of the book. Thank you.
1: No, thanks, Mel. Thanks for having me. <laughs> This has been a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au. 3. Triple. Ah.
0: You've been listening to Backstory, the show about books, the craft of writing, and the people behind the lines. I'm Mel Cranenberg, And if you like what you've heard, you can listen to the live version of the show, Wednesdays at 12 on Triple R. Join the stream on the Triple R website or subscribe to this podcast in your favourite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Join me again soon.
1: You've been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3 Triple R, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.